My grandma has always said, it's wonderful that you have so many friends, and I agree with her. During the pandemic, I realized how much I miss seeing the people who make my life so bright and interesting, and I wanted to find a way to introduce all of these stars to the world. And so I created this podcast. You, dear listener, will get a chance to be introduced to those who make my world hum with possibility. We will talk about serious things, silly things, sad things, glorious things, and things that make us feel alive. So settle in. It's just you and me. Well, hello there, Erin. <laughs> hello. Hi. So thank you for being here. Tell me who you are. Tell me how we know each other. Uh, I'm Erin Faley. Uh, legally, I'm Erin Fagan Faley, but that's only the legal part. Um, and you and I met at an Elizabeth Warren um, town hall that she held in Raleigh. And you got a ride with um, a mutual friend of ours, Kristen. And, um, and then we were all walking back to the car and you and I hit it off like we had been soulmates from separated at birth. Yeah. And that was, I think it was November of last year. Oh, so like a little over a year ago. Yeah, just about a year ago, yeah. Yeah. And so tell me about who are you? What do you do? Tell, describe yourself. So I am, um, I was raised in the suburbs of Chicago, um, lived there most of my life, and then uh, moved out of state for a little while to Nevada. And I was a school teacher for a little bit, um, got really tired of all the red tape uh, being a school teacher, and um, uh, really didn't like my administrator. He was not a good person. And um, eventually wound up um, I think he <laughs> lost his job and a bunch of among other things that happened to him but um, anyway he's no longer an administrator at that school but um, needless to say I left moved back to Chicago and got a job teaching writing to um, college kids for a while and then I decided that I didn't want to be a teacher anymore so I became an editor and now I am the manager of production and digital content development which is a mouthful, which really just means that I do book production for a nonprofit in Chicago called the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. And um, they are a nonprofit focused on supporting registered dietitian nutritionists. And so um, I always like to give this example. If you have a family member who had to go to the hospital because they had diabetes or diverticulosis or anything that was health related and there was a special diet that they had to follow uh, registered dietitian nutritionists would come to you in the hospital and would tell you about the specifics of your diet um, and so they work a lot. I mean, a, a huge portion of them work in clinical settings such as hospitals, but there's a very large portion that work out in uh, settings that are non-clinical such as like counseling settings. Um, there are some that work in food development. They work all over. They're basically just super smart, brainy people who talk about food and what food does for your body. That's great. Have so. I can't even imagine what you've learned from, from doing that. I mean, I bet in some ways it gets not boring, but like, you know, after a while, you're just kind of seeing similar words and, you know, especially as an editor, you have to yeah. be so into the minutia of it. I, I, I bet that's, I bet that's fascinating to do work to do. The pictures I have to edit are super awesome. Uh, but, um, no, I mean, right now I'm like specifically today worked in the journey of a book on oncology nutrition, which is always just really sad, you know, yeah. just thinking about people that have cancer, like, you know, what do you, 
you know, what they have, what's their nutritional needs. So sometimes it's really depressing. Sometimes it's really cool. We did a book um, last fall um, that I will plug for everybody called um, Six Factors to Fit. And you can buy it on like Barnes and Nobles or Amazon. And it is a book uh, written by, not a dietitian actually, he's a bariatric doctor and his wife who's a, a registered nurse practitioner or LPN and then another dietitian. And they um, just wrote a book about how you can kind of identify one of these six factors and you can have multiple or you can have like a single one or whatever. And they kind of like influence the way that you make decisions about your life. And so the idea is to identify the factors that contribute to unhealthy lifestyle habits and then like zeroing in on how to, you know, things that you can do to modify it. So like, let's say one of them is like um, easily enticed eater, which is what I am. So it's like, um, as soon as there's any kind of stress, which we'll talk about the election a little bit, um, I'm immediately like eating. And so there are techniques in there that would help me to, you know, yeah. identify that that's a problem for me and talk about solutions that I can have to overcome it. And I probably should have reread that book before the election and specifically that chapter, but it was a bad time. You are, you are narrowing in on our topic today. And so what I, what I'd love to know is that, I mean, as, as you've said, we met because we both were volunteering for the Warren campaign, but we both lived in Chicago. A certain former president is from Chicago. How did you get into or get interested in volunteering for political campaigns? Yeah, it's a really weird story, which is that I um, detested politics for most of my life. Uh, my parents were uh, fairly conservative, uh, especially fiscally conservative, but somewhat socially conservative. Although now that I look at the current environment, they're, they're pretty radical. Um, but my, uh, you know, they were, they were conservative growing up. And, and I think they were probably registered as independent, but I only ever remember them speaking kindly about most Republican um, uh, politicians. And when I was in high school, you know, we had to take a government class and my government teacher in high school, I'm sorry, this wasn't high school, this is uh, eighth grade. So in eighth grade, we took like a government section and my eighth grade teacher said to, said to everybody in the class, well, we don't live in a democracy, we live in a republic and you don't actually get, your vote doesn't matter because you're just one of a, a, a group of people and someone is going to vote for you for the president. And it really disenchanted me. I'm sorry. Didn't you have to take the constitution test in eighth grade. There was something that we had, like that was required in Illinois. Might have been that. Yeah, there was one we had to take in high school for sure. That's but yeah, but yeah, it was just a really, it was a really, it really jaded me because I felt like my voice didn't matter. And so, and this was like at a very young age. I'm, I'm pretty sure I can go back to the. I won't name the teacher, but I'm pretty sure I could go back and name the teacher that it came from. Yeah. Um, and it was really disheartening. And then, you know, I took government classes in high school and I think it was just reinforced the whole, this is a republic and not a democracy. Your vote isn't really a vote. And no one actually talked to me about local politics um, mm -hmm. at the time and how important it was to vote for local politicians. So um, I went all through, you know, my non-voting years, just not caring. And then I got to college and I didn't care because I was in college and I had very big tunnel vision. And I remember, you know, the election with Bush and Gore and there were a lot of people that were just super upset about it. And I just was like, I don't, I don't get it. Like I, cause I just didn't care. Mm -hmm. And then when I was like, you know, getting ready to get out of college, someone told me, well, if you register to vote there, you're going to be called for jury duty. So I never registered to vote. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, I, 
state in Illinois, my parents kept begging me to register to vote. And I kept telling them, no, I don't want to get called for jury duty. And uh, lo and behold, I got called for jury duty anyway. <laughs> uh, but I was moving. So I moved to Nevada. So I, I didn't actually have to vote. Um, so I got out of that jury duty. Okay. And then I moved to Nevada and I registered to vote in Nevada, but I never lived there for a presidential election. There was a local election or not a local, but, uh, you know, like the biannual um, or the every other year one. Uh, but I didn't vote in that one. I still was just really kind of not really sure what I was doing, I guess, politically. And this is like my early to mid 20s. Mm-hmm. And then when I moved back, I moved back in 2008. And I was registered, to, and I also got called for jury duty in Nevada, which I didn't have to go to because I moved back to Illinois. It's like I just kept moving to avoid jury duty. I think that's the reason why you move. You're like, you get the summons, and then you're like, I got to get out of here. You're not going to believe this story because I moved back with my parents for a few months to figure out where I was going to go and what I was going to do with my life after quitting being a, a high school teacher. And I got called for jury duty. And I got out of it because I moved to Cook County to the city of Chicago. So there are three times I've been called and I have not served a day. And I wouldn't mind it now, you know, but like when I was younger, it just was unappealing. Politician person. Yeah. (laughs) Every time I got called, I'm like, sorry, I just changed my address. Anyway, so I wound up moving to Chicago proper. And um, I, I remember when Obama ran the first time obviously like watching his speech and everything and just being very moved but I didn't actually vote for him not because I didn't want to I had the flu like the flu flu the one that you get when you're like deathly ill on your deathbed that night was I was going to leave work and go vote and I was sitting at work and it's like three in the afternoon all of a sudden I'm like oh my god I don't feel good and I, I barely got into a cab and took a cab back to my apartment. Like I couldn't even get on the L. I was so sick. And then I woke up the next day and I kind of like remember watching some of his like highlights of his speech for the night before and everything. So he would have been the first person I voted for, but sadly I did not vote. I'm sure most people now are probably glad I didn't because I didn't give them the flu. So that was so like, you know, the first, you know, two times I would have voted. So the first time I voted was the next time after that. And then I became a voter, but I wasn't voting for anything I really cared about other than the presidential election. And then um, Rahm Emanuel was running for mayor and I uh, got really passionate about, I didn't really want him as my mayor. And so I I specifically remember going and voting in a non-presidential election to vote against Rahm Emanuel. He still won. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, just started realizing, I think a little bit more of how important the alderman is, which is a position in Chicago that's fairly similar to a city council person um, and how important it was to have a good alderman because they could do things like fix your streetlights when they're broken or fill potholes, which in Chicago are prolific. I started to think a little bit more about how important local politics was. And then I met my husband, my, at the time my boyfriend, and um, he was fairly, you know, he's a real liberal progressive guy and just kind of really helped me develop my thinking on what I thought was the most fair um, policies that should be put out and there have definitely been times where him and I have had conversations where we're at polar opposite sides of what we should think about something politically and we've you know talked it out and you know either reached an agreement or agreed that we're never going to agree like we don't agree on the electoral college specifically (laughs) uh, was our last conversation. But, you know, it was an interesting conversation to have with him and with someone who, you know, I don't agree with and and still respect and and has well-formed opinions. And so I really value that in um, our relationship. And so in 2016, I voted for Bernie. 
Um, I was going to vote for Hillary. I liked Hillary the whole time. I never didn't like Hillary, but I remember um, having a conversation and just kind of learning a little bit more about Sanders policies on Medicare for all. And I was a huge proponent of that, having been a freelancer, editorial freelancer for a long time and not having health insurance or having to pay my own and just understanding the burden of, you know, like I, I cut my thumb open when I was um, like in the kitchen one time and I had to go to the hospital, get stitches because like a really, really bad cut. They gave me, I didn't know this at the time, but it's, you know, when they took me in and they were doing the triage on me, they were like, is there any possibility you're pregnant? I was like, haha, I hope not because I'm on birth control. And they gave me a pregnancy test anyway, because I guess I was a little too flippant because I use humor as my defense mechanism. And they thought that I was not being serious. And they gave me a pregnancy test and it was $100. And I had to pay for that because I I had really shitty insurance and I I had, you know, a really high deductible. And so I paid, I don't know, like $1,000 for someone to put stitches in my thumb. I paid $350 for the doctor to come in for two minutes and say, yes, you need stitches. This person is going to put them in for me. Yeah. And it was just, it just really, and so this was in, um, I think this was in 2015. So in 2016, I became really passionate about the idea of socialized medicine, uh, you know, like healthcare, Medicare for all. And then um, I voted for Bernie. And when Bernie lost. Were you volunteering at this time or did you just? Mm-hmm. Just voting. Yeah, just voting. Yep. And um, so then I voted for, um, I voted for Bernie. And then as soon as he didn't get it, I was like team Hillary all the way. Cause I never didn't like her. My husband hated her. He thought she was, had the bad emails, let's just say. <laughs> and so um, he was not a fan of her and um, made it very well known that he did not want to vote for her. And I was, I was, meanwhile, I'm crying at her acceptance speech at the democratic convention. I'm pregnant at the time. I'm so proud that uh, first, so we have a, we get pregnant the first time and we're going to have a girl. And I wept, openly wept when I found out we were going to have a girl thinking, oh my God, I don't want to bring a girl into this world. And then, but then I remember thinking to myself like, oh, you know, it's going to be okay. You know, and, the, and so I, I lost my daughter. Um, I had a miscarriage at 14 weeks, but um, before the, oh no, it was after, it would have been after the primaries. But I, I remember when I got pregnant almost right away with my son. And I heard I was having a son. I was like, oh, thank God I'm having a white male. Oh, this world's gonna be so much easier for him. And I remember like crying for joy. I was having a white boy because I, I thought the world was too cruel for women, which will tell you what I think about <laughs> about a lot of the world right now. But um, Well, and in the very first episode that I've done is about black motherhood. And my friend Stacy talks about how when they found out that she was having a black boy and how scared she got because of that. So it's fascinating. And I think it's true. I mean, I think that's either you're not aware of it because of the privilege that you hold, or you go, wow, this is, you know, it's, it's this gigantic scale where it's like, my gosh, this is going to be a potentially easy life, or I don't even know how long this person's going to live because of the society that we're living, you know? So there's just this, there's this really, really intense. And then with, with women, it's, you know, it's exactly the same as far as like, measuring out like you know advantages and disadvantages just based on society i don't think i don't think the white privilege was really a term that i was either aware of or maybe it just wasn't really a term in 2016 but i do remember thinking thank god i'm having a white boy right like i was so happy not to have a girl and um just because i it's it's tough to be a woman you know and it's tough to be 
and and then I don't know. I guess I'm I'm like a, I'm a totally intersectional feminist, and I so perhaps I was ahead of my time understanding white privilege before it really became like a term that people should know, or I didn't read about. I don't know whatever it was. I just remember like celebrating. I was going to have a white boy because I was like, oh, his life will be easier. Like I I was aware that the fact that he was white and male meant that he would have more opportunity. Mm-hmm. So. Um, cause there have been several times in my life where I have been specifically made to feel as if I wasn't good enough because I was a female. So I was, I was just happy. Um, anyways, I'm pregnant with my son, Hillary Clinton, you know, accepts the nomination. I'm crying. I'm like openly weeping. My husband's rolling his eyes, yelling at me about her emails. I don't care. So proud a woman is going to be president. She accepted. She wore that white pants suit. Oh, so nice. That suffragette suit. Yeah. But I, I was, I was in the same boat as you. It was a, it was a glorious day. Yeah. I cry, I mean, I cried, for, I wept for joy. Um, and I remember the day of the election, like I went and I voted, I think I voted early that year, but I might've voted early in downtown Chicago, which was very exciting because basically the line was like three blocks long, but it moves so fast that you're in, in like 10 minutes. Okay. Because it's just, there's so many machines going and there's, it's basically just like a giant, well-oiled machine to get you in and out. So it was like this, I got, I remember going into line and it was three blocks, three Chicago blocks long, which is three tenths of a mile. And then um, like getting inside and just, it was like so fast. So I voted for, um, I voted for Hillary, um, you know, all, all that stuff. And then I went home. And then I had a chiropractic appointment that that evening. And I remember walking to my appointment thinking to myself, my son's going to be born under the first female president. It's going to be the greatest thing ever. And I was so proud. I was so, as a woman, I was so elated to think that my son would be born under a, a woman president. And then maybe, maybe it wasn't going to be this doom and gloom, the best thing you could be in life as a white male. Like maybe you could be a female and succeed. And then I remember coming home and turning on the television and watching the results roll in. Mm-hmm. and I couldn't drink because I was pregnant and my husband could drink because he wasn't pregnant and uh he was he I, I came he came in and he was like why are you watching this I'm like I I have to watch this I want to see her win and then obviously it became obvious that she wasn't going to win and I went upstairs and went to bed because I was exhausted and my husband just got hammered just sat on the couch and got hammered because he just couldn't believe that Trump was pulling this off. I mean, it was taken for, we well, took it for granted. We thought Hillary was going to win, you know? And so it came as a real shock to both him and I. I remember waking up at four in the morning, rolling over, checking my phone and just crying. Like, oh my God, this is awful. And then I, I went in the next day and I rode up the elevator with my boss. And I rarely rode in an elevator with my boss because it, you know, just timing wise, we worked in a giant building downtown. But I happened to get on the elevator with my boss that day. And my boss is, <laughs> we, we don't talk a ton about politics, but him and I have very similar political views. And um, I just remember riding the elevator up with him and him just being super hungover. And I was like, rough nine. He goes, oh, what's the worst, <laughs> you know? And we're, it, we actually talked about this right before the last election, actually. Like, where were you four years ago? We were riding an elevator together talking about how I wish I could have been hungover and he was hungover. So like in the coming weeks after the election, I was like trying to gather my thoughts. And then I suddenly had a child three weeks early, unexpectedly. 
and I was really thrown into chaos. And I usually make a New Year's resolution every year. My New Year's resolution is usually something very altruistic. Like I'm gonna donate $20 a month to the Animal Protection Society and I'm gonna volunteer for this, I'm gonna do that. And it was, it's usually never anything political. And I told myself in uh, 20, you know, 16 that I was, I was gonna do something, you know, make some kind of decision for myself that was really gonna help. And um, my, so my son was born 2016. In 2017, I decided that, um, uh, that at some at some point in 2017, I was going to get involved in politics. I was going to choose a candidate or do something, and I was I was going to do, and I never did, and I never did, and I never did. And then um, Elizabeth Warren in 2018. That's when she oh oh, Brett what? Kavanaugh. Brett Kavanaugh was my tipping point. Oh yeah, yeah. So I remember watching the Kavanaugh hearings, and like I watched them, and I I, I obviously wept because. What a nightmare. Yeah. yeah. What a, like, I, I feel like, I don't even know. I mean, everything has just been a constant punch in the face for like. I mean, it was, there were, I mean, every single month of the Trump administration was something terrible, right? Like, let's not, let's not beat around the bush here. But I think that the Kavanaugh thing was really where I was just like, okay, this is it. Like, this is my straw. And I told my husband while the trial was going on, I will get involved in politics. And I just remember while I was still kind of in a daze from having a child, you know, the Jeff Sessions hearing and just like remember like watching that and just being like, oh, this lady's got some some balls, you know? And I remember seeing her on The Daily Show, you know, before that when she was on the CFPB and I would always liked her. I'd kind of followed her career and I really liked, um, you know, I donated her Senate campaigns and I just remember when Kavanaugh, you know, was, um, nominated or whatever, and he made it in the Supreme Court. Bill said to me, "You think Elizabeth Warren's going to run?" I'm like, "No, I think she's like, I know she's not like Hillary, but everybody's going to look at her and see a blonde white woman, and they're not going to vote for her. So I don't think I don't think the Democratic Party is going to get behind her." And in the end of 2018, in like December, she sent out an email to her supporters and said, "I'm going to announce my." exploratory committee so i said to bill if she if she's if she does it that's it i'm on i'm on team warren i've loved her for years she's the answer that we're all looking for she's unapologetic and unafraid to speak her mind and she's also uh you know extremely intelligent and willing to weigh a lot of information and most more than anything you know trump hated her and i i found that to be a badge of honor in her favor um, when he's got a special nickname for you, you know, you've, you know, you've made it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, so in, so then she, you know, announced her candidacy and in the spring of that year, they, they'd emailed people who were like her early supporters and they said, would you host an event in your area, um, at your house actually, where you just talk about it? Did you live in North Carolina? Or you I did. Yeah, I did. So we were, this is 20, this is 2019, early, early 2019. So spring. And I advertised every way that I could, um, do you know, come and meet me at uh, the beer study in Durham and we'll talk about Elizabeth Warren. And they gave me a list of like people I could contact and everything anyway. So I got about 12 people to show up. And all we did was talk and like they gave me talking points, but there was very, very little information because it was still really, really new. And all I was supposed to do is just get people to basically sign up to be on our list and donate money. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I hosted it. And then in June, I got contacted again saying they're going to kind of start really ramping up efforts in uh, Durham. 
and Raleigh and, you know, uh, some of the bigger cities. And would you be interested in being a, a community leader for Durham? And I was like, yes, <laughs> of course. I have everything in the world that I have on my plate, but I would love to take on more by uh, helping out this woman. So um, I met my two Durham co-leads and we kind of held down the four in Durham until we got real staff on the ground. And then I think it was... <sighs> I'd like to say July or August when staff from her campaign came to the, got on the ground. And so we had like real staff in the state. And then I don't, I think it might've even been September because oh, okay. I just remember talking to you right after we met and just about like all of the work that you all had done. And then staff came in and like, they were just so pleased at what a forced Durham and honestly North Carolina became for Warren I mean despite right. the outcome right yeah yeah so we um yeah it was it was an interesting it basically started out with me just being like in a screw Trump mode yeah. um and just being like it was a lot of girl power at the in the yeah. beginning for me yeah. I wanted a woman more than anything else because I've been robbed of Hillary right and I really wanted right. to take Trump down so and then other, yeah, other candidates were announcing and they were all fine and everything, but no one ever, like, I love Kristen Gillibrand. I got nothing wrong against, I didn't even have anything against Kamala, right? I just loved Elizabeth Warren more than any of them combined. Right. <laughs> I didn't want to, I didn't want to work for any of them, so. Right. So there's, there's kind of a, a bittersweet irony because we, so there was a, a group of us that have kind of now formed a, a, a girl gang um, <laughs> that are basically post-Warren fans, but um, we we all met up uh, the night of the, when was that? Was it the primary? primary. And yeah. March that 3rd. was bittersweet because I remember we were so excited. We were so ready and it was so devastating. And I was swearing, screaming swears a lot. I didn't really want to come out and talk about, talk about that, that, and then also talk about similar to like losing, Bernie losing, and then taking on Hillary, like, you know, taking on Biden mm. and trying to push through till the, to the end, right? Like, yeah. what was that like? So the, um, in the beginning, it was really, um, it was really easy to think that things were going to go right for Warren. She seemed to have a lot of momentum. Um, and I can't tell you how many doors that we knocked and phone calls that we made as a campaign. But um, it became pretty evident that people really liked her here in Durham. So I was really surprised that she didn't actually do better. Because I feel like a lot of people I talked to, you know, the majority of people I talked to said that they really liked her. And I, I don't know if they changed their mind the last minute thinking they were going to make a safer choice. I remember many of the people I talked to door to door and I had never made a political phone call, never knocked a door. I, I was raised in a household where you don't talk about politics because it's impolite, you know, to, to talk about politics with other people. And I had to break that, my mold of that. I had to, not, like knocking my first door with my friend Katie, um, you know, was one of the most, and Sarah were some of the most terrifying experiences because I'd never done it before. But it turned out that it was one of the most exhilarating things. And to talk to people, and get them to to talk about things about politics is sometimes really exciting and it's obviously sometimes really terrifying too because people will slam the door in your face or yell at you or you know especially if they're if they're not who they say like if someone else lives there and they answer the door and they're like i'm gonna vote for trump and they get really mad at you um uh 
but yeah, it was it was a really amazing experience. Um, I canvassed my entire neighborhood. Um, and when they say canvas, just so that you're aware in a primary, they're only canvassing people who are either registered to the party that you're working for or registered as independent. So I never specifically knocked anybody's door that was a Trump voter. However, in Durham, there are so many Democrats on the ticket that sometimes there were no Republicans on a ticket. So a lot of older boomer Durhamites are registered independents, even though they've never voted Democratic in their life, unless there was no one else in the ballot. So I did knock on one lady's door and she screamed at me in my neighborhood that I was not to knock on her door because she, I said I was only going to knock on independent doors and Democrat doors. And I said, well, your husband is a registered independent. And she argued like just until she was blue in the face, she was like screaming at me to get off of her porch because they were registered Republicans. And like, sure enough, I went, like, I, I like got down to the end of the drive when I like looked up, I'm like, yeah, no, she, he's a registered independent. His wife is a registered Republican, but he's a registered independent because you have all the voter information is public record. Yes. So, uh, but yeah, so I, I canvassed everybody in my neighborhood that I could. I went flyers. I, you know, and I, a lot of people in my neighborhood are very supportive and a lot of people in my neighborhood that were, that were Republican were not supportive. They felt like it was impolite to talk about politics you know, go door to door, we should all be neighborly, can't we all put it behind us, blah, blah, blah. So it was a real mixed bag, but it was a very empowering time for me. Um, and so in knocking doors and making calls and working all this stuff, I got to meet some pretty amazing women who um, I, uh, I had arranged, we'd all, we were all thinking this is going to turn out really well. So we all arranged, we were going to go drinking at the bar the day of the primary after most of us had volunteered for the day, knocking doors and making phone calls. So I had been working from 8 a.m. until pretty much 8 p.m. knocking doors. Um, and uh, about 7 p.m., like I just kind of stopped knocking doors, went back and just made phone calls to California and to other states that hadn't had their primaries. And then we went and we met up and we were just screaming into the void because we knew that she was, I mean, it was pretty obvious she wasn't going to win. Yeah. And it's pretty obvious the reason why she wasn't going to win to most of us is because she was a woman and people didn't want a woman as a president. And I still think they don't, obviously they voted for a man. So, yeah. um, so a couple months later, you know, it becomes obvious that Bernie's not going to drop out because whatever. And there's still all the snake emojis going on with Warren. And that's very disheartening um, because Warren supporters are told never to do that, you know, to other people. And and then Biden gets the nomination. And this is all in the midst of the pandemic. So it's all kind of, you know, a little bit of a backseat at this point, but still kind of front and center because you just don't, you just want to get rid of Trump. Um, I just remember, you know, Biden was like at the, toward the bottom of my acceptable, like my candidates I would get excited about. And I, I didn't think I would ever knock a door or make a phone call for him because I just wasn't excited about him. To me, he was just another white man who wasn't going to do anything different. He wasn't radical enough for me. And he picked Kamala, which I thought was great. I like Kamala, but I found myself being very angry that Kamala was his second choice. And it wasn't that Kamala was his second choice. It's that she was behind a man on the ticket. Yeah. I feel like she could have been in the front of the ticket and there was no reason why she couldn't, she wasn't, except that people didn't want a woman. Yeah. It made me very angry. Um, so yeah, not because Kamala, I have anything against her. I don't necessarily agree with all of the things that she necessarily does. And, you know, but I mean, I did the best that I could with trying to figure out why I was so mad with Kamala. And I really had to do a lot of soul searching and I got called out in one of my political mom forums for, um, 
you know, supposedly like holding black women to a different standard. And I'm like, no, and I was like trying to explain, no, I'm not, I'm not, not excited about her being the vice president because I don't want a black woman to be my thing, or I, I think I should hold her to higher standards. And I, I had to really come to grips with like, why is it that I'm so angry that Kamala is on that ticket behind him? And then it realized it's like the behind him part. I want her on the front of that ticket. I want Harris Biden. I don't want Biden Harris, but that's not the way the cookie crumbles. And honestly, looking back at what has happened in this past election, I actually think it's probably a good thing that Biden was on the front of that ticket. I think a lot of sexism is still alive and well in American and especially in the way people vote. And I think that he was the right candidate to draw enough people away from Trump that felt strongly, such as my dad, who did not vote for Trump and voted for Biden because he didn't like Trump. So I think Biden was ultimately the right choice. It just saddens me that the alternative to Trump was like Biden. <laughs> you know, I would have been happy with Mayor Pete. <laughs> but I do think what, what I think is interesting about all of this, and this comes all the way back to 2016, you know, and I, I was not, I was a Hillary fan pretty much from the beginning, but the way in which Bernie and Elizabeth pushed agendas Mm -hmm. And if we look at where someone like Biden was and now, like even having conversations about like universal health care, I mean, before he's, you know, in office or like student loan forgiveness, like that is nothing, what nothing like that was a conversation in 2016. No. Like, yeah. And now it's like a legitimate, like this can actually happen. And I, that's why I think this system, this, this whole thing is so fascinating because those people, Warren and Sanders, they they just keep, they won't stop. Like they just keep pushing. And I think that was the spirit that I really felt so pulled towards. Cause I would be very honest with people when I was doing the Biden volunteering and saying, you know, I'm a Warren person, but like, we're all on the team now. Like we yeah. can't, but we're not gonna stop. We're not gonna stop saying these things need to happen, right? Just because our person didn't get it doesn't mean that we're gonna be sad and you know never vote for anyone again. Right. But it doesn't mean that we're not gonna hold people to the fl- to the flames, right? Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. It really needs to be like a. Um, there needs to be someone out there saying these things, these progressive ideas. Mm-hmm. And then you have to, and, and people have to hear them. And then of course they're gonna go, well, that's crazy. How are you gonna pay for that? And then Elizabeth Warren comes by and is like, here's my plan. And she's got every, you know, a 25 page plan written out with every every line item detailed. And she right. shows people that it's possible to do it. And she was the best at that. Like she was the best at having really concrete laid out plans. And sure, some of them are probably more great on paper than they would have been in reality. But the point is that someone sat down and did all that. And right. Bernie Sanders, the things that he did to advance the idea of universal health care, you can't take that away from him. That conversation wasn't happening prior to 2016 in any kind of relevant circles. And suddenly he shows up and he starts talking about this. And I had never even conceived of the fact that the government should pay for my health care truly until he brought it to my attention. I was like, Whoa. I can't the government should pay for my health care. You know, we should be like a European country. Everybody, every, you know, it really... I, I credit him for really opening my eyes to the progressive ideas that I now embrace. I do feel like Warren had the the plans to back up her progressive ideas even more so. And this is not a knock on Bernie. 
Um, you know, I think he, I think he was fabulous. I just didn't want another white man, right? Like I, I'm done with white men, I'll, except for the next four years in which I'll take Biden. Very happy to do it. Right. So my final, my final question for you is, what, where do you see yourself playing in the political landscape for the next four years? So there's going to be a senatorial. Um, Richard Burr seat is going to be up in 2022. And so my husband and I have talked about what we're going to do. Well, and uh, face for that guy. Yeah, I think we're probably going to volunteer for whoever the Democratic candidate is. Making calls is super easy to do. Um, there's an automated system that you basically just sit behind a desk and it dials a number for you. And there's a script in front of you and you go, hi, my name is Aaron. I'm a volunteer from Durham, North Carolina. And I'm just calling today to talk to you about such and such. You have a minute. It's such an easy thing to do. And you can be a total introvert and still do this really easily. And I think that's one of the things is I'm a really good, I'm really good at playing an extrovert, but I'm really a big introverted homebody. I love being at home. I love being by myself and I don't love socially interacting with people all the time, but there are certain things that really get me excited to interact with other people. And the idea of making the future better for our children, the idea of continuing to promote Black Lives Matter, the idea of continuing to promote intersectional feminism, the idea of eliminating student debt, of free college, of universal health care. These are things that excite me. And I don't think I'll ever just say, well, I'm done. Yeah. Unless Trump gets voted back in in 2024. And then I might, I might just move to New Zealand or something. Well, maybe it'll be Ivanka. So, you know, at least. <laughs> right. Sure. So, wow. I mean, I think I, I, I'm appreciative of your sharing because I think that one, a lot of people, I think people have become more political in the past four to maybe eight years because they were so disheartened either by Hillary's loss or um, they got really excited about Obama, you know, like all these things, or they love Trump, which is uh, ironically a human that exists. Um, but I, I appreciate you sharing your the truth about it because I think that I think a lot of people assume because like I think people assume that I'm just like insane insane killjoy that like came out of the womb just like ruining everyone's life constantly with my you know truth but like that's totally I mean I I I had to become this everyone like I had to <laughs> yeah this is not yeah if you would ask me you know and 2015, if I would be volunteering for Elizabeth Warren and I would have knocked thousands of doors and made thousands of phone calls, I would have I would have laughed at you. Right. It and took really it took a tragedy to wake me up. Yep. And it took a tremendous sense of of um, ennui over the president and what he was doing to our country, putting children in cages, all those things. And I, I just had enough. I, I couldn't do it anymore. And I have to say, it was one of the scariest things I've ever committed to. And it turned out to be one of the most life-changing things I've ever done. Not only did I get to meet Julie, which was life-changing in itself, uh, and several of my other friends, you know, shout out to our um, Fuck America Angry Women group. But um, um, the, you know, just just the, the concept of fighting, the good fight is something that you can feel proud of. I made sure that of all of the social events that we held, I told my husband, I want my son to come to everyone. And he was like three. And my husband's like, he's not going to remember. I'm like, oh no, he will. He's going to know his mother was fighting for the good, you know, the good stuff. And I refused to just, you know, my parents were voters and 
a lot of people I know are just voters, right? They show up, they vote, and that's it. And I just want to tell people it's very easy to get involved. I would say if you want to email Julie <laughs> and you and the three of us can do like a phone bank for the 2022 senatorial race. It's super easy to do. And like I said, there's a script. I would just really encourage everybody that if you want to make things better, you can't just vote. You have to be active. And people, when we called, I'm sure Julie did the same thing where you called people leading up to the um, 2020 elections and they were unaware of all the positions that were going to be on the ballot. I can't tell you how many people I called this year in like October and they were like, wait a minute, are governors up for re-election? And that's just- Yeah, two-sided ballot people. There was a lot going on. And I mean, I also like another cool thing that I did was I I worked on election day, like right. you know, I was working as a polling as a polling official. I mean, that was that was incredible. And the voting polls, not the not the stripper polls, just to be very oh, clear with everybody. Very right. much. <laughs> Everyone obviously thought that at first, um, <laughs> on election day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I, I, I just, those, those parts of the process were so great. And anyone who says that they know what patriotism is and they are the only version of what patriotism is, I think that is absolutely ridiculous. And I think that patriotism ha has been hijacked. And I think that the things that Aaron was doing, the things that I was doing are more patriotic because we were actually caring about other people and not just our own special interest. I don't know. I just, it makes me feel crazy. And I know that, that progressives never talk about patriotism and loving this country and whatever, but like, there's no way you can't love this country and give hundreds and hundreds of hours to it's very true. Yeah, Kristen and I had this talk. I, I went out and I bought like duct tape for one of our events and it was red, white and blue duct tape. And I was like, this makes me want to vomit in my mouth a little bit. But I know that Elizabeth Warren loves this country and she's yeah. fighting for it. And I know that I'm going to fight with her. Right, right. So now you get your time to ask me any question that you'd like for my moment of vulnerability. Hmm. I think I would like to ask, I hadn't thought about this ahead of time. I should have thought harder. That's fine. Do you think that you will be living in North Carolina in five years and kind of continuing in the path or do you see yourself in a vastly different path in five years? I mean, path is hard. Living in North Carolina, that's pretty slim. That's the odds are slim because I just, you know, I, this is, it has been a tenuous relationship, but right now we're in a, we're in an okay place. I mean, I'm not, I don't hate it like I did before. Um, I'm, I'm comfortable here, but I don't think I'm thriving in a way that I would like to. Um, oddly, like doing this podcast is actually giving me a lot of life because I really like my job, but you know, there's, there's limits to being in a job for five years. And like, it's not really, it's not like changing or anything. So, and also we're in a pandemic. So there's a total, you know, in education, there's just a fear set of like what's going on. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy to have a job right now. I mean, I have friends whose, whose entire departments are potentially going to be just taken away because the the universities don't believe that they're they're money makers but you know like the liberal arts aren't money makers so <laughs> right so it's, it's nuts but 
I don't know if I necessarily would see, so if I wasn't here, I don't know, I don't know if I necessarily would see myself in education. I think being a practical older person, I probably wouldn't leave just to leave. Like I would have to leave with a job. And so I mm -hmm. think because I am in education right now, if there was an opportunity in education in another place called Colorado, then I would pursue that. But I don't think, I don't foresee myself staying in this specific, like, you know, in pro program management, um, it's fulfilling only to a certain degree for me, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't know what the hell it would be that would like make me more fulfilled. And I mean, money would also make me more fulfilled too, you know? So, well, we like to think that, but yeah, there's definitely, I mean, yeah. there are, yeah, it's tough because we have this romanticized idea that like our job should give us purpose. And sometimes our job should just be our job and we should find purpose in other things. Yep, right. Like volunteering for yeah. a political campaign. <laughs> Right, right. And there, I mean, that's when, when I find, if I think back about all of the times that I've been happiest, it's the times when I've had that balance of I'm working, work is great. It's, you know, it is what it is. It's, is it filling my heart with joy every day? No, but it's paying my bills and it's allowing me to travel, to volunteer for political campaigns, to do a podcast. You know, I mean, there's, I think you're very right in thinking that, you know, there needs, we need to have that balance of like the logical, the logical things we need in order to live, but also where do we find joy if we don't find it in our nine to fives or, or whatever. So. Yeah, no, I, I just think that it's a, it's a really interesting notion that you just picked because that, that's a, it seems like, and I, I mean this in a really nice way, but it seems to be talking from a lot of privilege of, well, I should find joy in my job because there are a lot of people who yeah. don't get to find joy in their jobs. They do a job just for a paycheck because they have to do something. So I definitely think that we need to get away from this romanticized idea in general that um, work should provide our purpose. And I think we should provide our own purpose. And I think you're doing a marvelous job of that. Um, I continue to marvel at you. I wish I could be part of your PowerPoint party, but all the slots I could possibly do were already full when I looked and I, I can't do it. I can't do it 11 o'clock at night. I'm already in bed and totally asleep by then. So. Yeah, I added slots at the beginning. <laughs> um, but no. yeah, I, I, I think that you can give yourself a lot of purpose. And I, Julie, I think you're a really fun person. I think that the first, like the first thing I noticed about you when I met you was immediately your personality. Like your personality is just sparkling, right? It drew me to you. I basically, before we I left- I also just met Bruce- uh, Oh, that's what, true. What's his last Bruce, name? Um, oh my God, why well, can't I think of Bruce's last name? Bruce Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I had just, I had literally just interrupted, God, I was such a jerk, Bruce's conversation with probably a dear friend. I don't <laughs> even know. I just went up to him and was like, hello, can I please take a selfie with you? I think you're amazing. And then he totally yeah. did. And he was so lovely. And then we all went outside and it was raining. And yeah. I think I was, I mean, I'm not saying that I'm not amazing, but I also was on like a Bruce high just then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I just really, I feel like, you know, from the minute I met you, we, you know, we hit it off right away. And you remind me very much of someone that I was friends with in a past life when I lived in Chicago. Well, this has been a treat as always. And I mean, we, we definitely need to see each other, although, you know, pandemic makes it a little more, 
impossible to do at times, but especially now that it's cold, but thank you for being on this. And, um, Hey, let's keep an eye on the weather. And if it's really, if they, you know, breaks like 50 degrees at night again, however we should, I'll come over and we can hang out again and we'll just pack a bunch of blankets. Yeah. We can go see Cleo. Oh yeah. 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 So again, thank you so much for being with me and, um, hopefully we'll talk soon. I am so lucky to know such incredible, thoughtful people, and I thank you for listening. Come back soon for another episode of It's Just You and Me.